Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. About 10 years ago, I had the chance to go to San Diego with my wife and a couple of friends. And as we were out in San Diego, one of the, my bucket list items was to go see the USS Midway, which is an aircraft carrier that's docked there in San Diego. And I uh, had the chance to go see it. I love anything with a motor attached to it. And so as we went and we, we did the Midway, we looked at it. And I'm sitting there, look over in the bay, and I see that there's a bigger ship. And of course, if you've seen one, you've got to go see the bigger one, right? Because the bigger one's across the way there, and it was the, the USS Ronald Reagan. And so I got in the car and creatively found my way over past Coronado and ended up, and we found the Reagan, which is behind me. Now, the Reagan is twice the size of the Midway. And so I just kept driving until we come to a military checkpoint where the guy says, what are you guys doing? And I said, well, we're here to see the Ronald Reagan. And he said, nobody sees the Reagan. Uh, You boys are looking for the uh, shopping and ice cream. And I said, no, we really want to see the see the Reagan, and I was not picking up what he was putting down, and uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, a couple other guys come, and they're looking around the car, kind of like, what are you guys doing? And uh, it ended up, we went back to the shopping and ice cream and didn't get, to see the, <laughs> didn't get to see the Reagan. The reason I wanted to see the Reagan is I had done a little bit of research. I'm a nerd in that I love to find out, like, how big these things are, and they don't release all the information because it's classified, but that ship can cut the power five to 10 miles away from shore, and the momentum that is pushing it will carry it all the way into harbor. So where the last thing they're doing is making some final adjustments, but they cut the power some five to 10 miles away from shores, and the momentum that's pushing it is pushing it all the way in, which is just incredible when you look at how many planes are on top of that. Over 1,200 people are usually on it. And so I was just uh, awestruck with the size of the Reagan and wanted to go see it. I was not able to. It's on my bucket list still. But it brings up an interesting thought. Today, we are in the middle of a series called Upper Room Momentum. And what I found is that the, the words that Jesus left his disciples were designed to help push them through the difficulties that they were about to face. If you know what they were about to face, we're in John chapter 14 today. And, and Jesus shares some words in John chapter 13, 14, and 15, and really into 16, that were designed to help push them through the difficulty of the cross and to push them through the difficulty of what would happen in the days to come. Now, unfortunately, if you know the story, everybody left Jesus, so the momentum was gone, right? And they had to kind of rebuild on this. But if you read the writings of John and you read the writings of Peter, you can see how the words that Jesus shared here greatly shaped their future. And today, what I would submit to you is that the the words that Jesus shares with us, even if we forget these at times, they have an incredible amount of momentum-speaking potential into our lives, if we'll take them and apply them. And so we're excited to look at what God has for us today. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. If you don't have it, um, there's one in front of you. That's our gift to you. Keep in mind, the disciples missed this entirely. They left Jesus. They, They abandoned him. And so what little momentum was built was gone. But also keep in mind that nearly every church history records that nearly every one of the disciples was martyred for their faith. And so at some point, these words came back into these gentlemen's lives and minds. And most likely after the resurrection, this all became a lot more clear. The benefit we have today is that we sit on this side of the resurrection. 
And we sit on this side of the promises that Jesus laid out in these chapters. And so today as we read through John chapter 14, I think that these words carry the potential to give you an incredible amount of momentum in your faith. Matter of fact, if you struggle with getting traction in your faith, there are some things that Jesus shares today and, and, and probably next week as well as we look through these that will help you not only gain traction and, and momentum, but also help solidify your faith if you'll allow God's spirit to work inside of you. And so today as we read, join me in John chapter 14. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. John chapter 14, verse one says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place that we're going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. John chapter 13 records some troubling news for the disciples. Jesus told them that Peter would leave them. He told them that Judas would betray him and he told them that, they would, that he would die. And for a group of people who a week prior had heard that Jesus was going to be king and was hailed as he walked in through the streets of Jerusalem, this had to be fairly unsettling news. And so Jesus starts in the first part of chapter 14. He says, look, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And that idea of being troubled would be the, the idea of being stirred up or worked up. If you have kids, you know at times they get worked up and they're so inconsolable that they don't even know what to do. That's all they can see in front of them. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be worked up or stirred up around the things that really bother you. He's telling it to the disciples in the immediate context, but it could easily just apply to you and me, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Whatever is on your heart currently today, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. The good news is, is that for the, the disciples, they, they trusted God. They were good Jews, they understood who God was, and Jesus begins to lay his case that he and the Father are together, that they're one. And he tells them the very first thing, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't get worked up about what you just heard. Don't be bothered by the things that are bothering you. He says, if you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he switches and goes right into my father's house in verse two and three, has many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you so. I am going to there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me that you may also be where I am. So the disciples are a little unnerved at what they found out. Judas is gonna betray them. 
Peter is going to deny him. Jesus is going to die. The one who they had placed all of their hopes, who had done some incredible things, they had watched as Jesus had healed people, as he had, as he had stood up to, to the Pharisees, and their world starts to crash down. And Jesus gives an incredible reminder to the disciples and also us today. He says, look, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many rooms. Now, it's interesting that Jesus went to in my Father's house are many rooms. If I'm having a bad day, that's not what I would tell myself. Don't worry, in your Father's house, there's many rooms, right? You just wouldn't say that. You'd say, like, it's gonna be okay. Keep at it. But Jesus says, in my Father's house are, are many rooms. I love that Jesus used the, the picture of that his Father's house. If you go down south, you'll see that there's homes with in-laws' quarters, and some are even around here. And there's a certain amount of buffer and distance between those people, and maybe for good reason. But in the Middle East, they would just build a, build a room onto a house. And there was that proximity and that availability of God the Father. And Jesus is telling his disciples, don't be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And so whatever could happen, right? And he's setting the stage for what's going to happen. He's going to die. He says, look, in my Father's house are many rooms. And if it weren't that way, I wouldn't have told you this. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And so the first thing that we realize today as we look at this idea of momentum is that we gain momentum in our faith when we recognize God's future provision. He's preparing a place for you and for me, and this place must be incredible. The reason I think it's incredible is because he's been working on it for a while now, right? He created the world in seven days. He's been working on a place for you and for me for, for a little while now. And he tells his disciples, and I think in essence is telling us today that, look, no matter how stirred up and worked up you are about the world we live in, about the problems that you're facing, that we can gain momentum in our faith, that we can move forward in trusting our faith, because why? We, we know the end game. We know how the story ends. We know where we end up. And as you look into the future and you look at what God's doing in your life, you can have great confidence in the fact that he's preparing a place for you, and it's not someplace down the street. And it's not a mansion down the way. He's preparing a room for you close to him, which should hopefully take our faith and raise it to the next level because we don't have to worry about that part. We can trust with great confidence that God is supplying exactly what we need. We know the end game. We know who wins, and it's good news for you and for me. And it was for the disciples, but they didn't quite catch it. And if we were there, I'm afraid, uh, I don't know about you, but I probably wouldn't have caught it either. Verse four says, um, you know the place to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas is always asking the question that everybody else is thinking. Right? We, we don't know the way that you're going, Jesus. But he had laid out pretty specifically what he was doing before. They had heard, as Jesus' ministry had, had progressed, they had heard that um, Peter admitted that he was the Messiah. They had came along and, and come to see him do great miracles and see all of the incredible things that Jesus did. And Jesus told him in verse 4, you know the way to the place I'm going. And Thomas said, I'm not sure we do. And they knew that death was coming for Jesus, but they couldn't comprehend the resurrection. And Jesus answers Thomas's question, of, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And he answers it in one of an extremely well-known verse. 
right? Jesus answered with not here's how you get there, although he did. He answered it with I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through me. Jesus lays out that he's the way. This past week, I had the chance to be with a couple of missionaries, uh, Rich and Sherry Smith in Guatemala, and we were picked up from the airport in Guatemala City. Guatemala City is a massive area, and it's like a maze. There's like no rhyme or reason to that city. Uh, they have zones, but I could never figure it out. And so Rich and Sherry pick us up, and there's a guy named Luis. And, and I was like, Rich, why'd we bring Luis? We like, barely have room in the car. And he was like, well, he's like, he could have told me the way, but we would have never made it. I need Luis to show me the way. Right? And that's what Jesus does for us. He takes and shows us the way to God. He shows us the way to eternal life. And, and Jesus tells Thomas, he says, look, I am the way. It's interesting that Paul, when he went to persecute the church, they were followers of what? The way. Before they were Christians, they were known as followers of the way, right? The only way to God is through Jesus. And so Jesus answers this really uh, interesting question from Thomas, and he says, look, I'm the way. And I love that, that Jesus shows us the way to be with God. He doesn't just tell us the way, go down the street, turn left, then take another right, uh, plug into Siri and see what happens. No, he says, I am the way, and I'm going to show you the way to be with God. That's what his entire ministry was done, had done up until this point. And the disciples are, are a little confused. They think that there's uh, some directions that they need. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. Jesus was and is the definition, the embodiment, the example of truth. And he answers Thomas's question with, I'm the way, the truth. You see, I can teach you things, but my life doesn't always match up. I, I know a little bit about sports, but I've got no business teaching you anything about sports because I probably couldn't do it. Jesus, on the other hand, lived a perfect life for 33 years, and he can show you what it means to be truthful in every essence and aspect of the word, and he is the personification of truth. And so when Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where we're going, he says, look, I'm the way, I'm how you're gonna get there. I am the truth, right? And the other big question is about to, we're about to find out in just a second is, well, just show us the Father. And he says, no, look, I am truth. And then lastly, he says that I am the life. You see, the moment you make life not about you and about Jesus is when you'll truly experience a full life. A lot of our friends this week are on a beach somewhere. Hate to bring that up, but that's where they're at. And when they got there, they sat down on that beach and they sat down in their chair and they've got their towels laid out. And what did they say? This is the life. Oh, man. But the bad part is they got to come back, right? And so whatever short little window of life they had is over come Friday, Saturday, right? You and I here... We're living the life, and we're just in the middle of it, right? But Jesus says, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Psalm 1611 says that the Lord will show the way to life. And so what I've found and what the disciples would come to find later, and I hope that you discover at some point, is that the moment that you make your life more about Jesus and less about yourself, that's the moment you'll discover what life is really like. Jesus did that. The great part about Jesus is, is that he isn't saying you should do these things. He's saying, look at me. I've done these things. I've showed you how to live. This is the way to a full life. This is the way to a free life. And you can do it and you can have it. That's the good news today. So while our friends down on the beach are experiencing just a glimmer of, of what that life is, you can experience that and a whole lot more sitting right here today. Because Jesus makes life living worth living, and Jesus shows us what life is really 
like. Then Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And he lays out the exclusivity of himself that Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. He had previously told them, my Father's house are many rooms, and then he tells them, this is the way to get to those rooms. It's only through Jesus Christ. Every other world religion is what you can do to earn your way to get to God. Christianity is the only religion where God has came down to be with us to show us how to live and to show us the way to be with him forever. So Jesus answers Thomas's question in a pretty unique way. He says, we don't know the way we're going. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to show you what truth is. I'm going to show you what life is. And that nobody comes to me except through that. In our um, esoteric, do-whatever-you-want world, that's a pretty exclusive statement that the Son of God makes about himself and that you can, I believe, take to the bank. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I would love to help explain to you what that looks like because the only way you're getting to God is through Jesus. Matter of fact, you could say it this way. Without Jesus, there can be no momentum in your faith because without Jesus, there is no faith at all. Right? You just can't. And I'm afraid for some people, they've, they've thought if we just try harder, if we come to church a little bit, if we pray a little bit, maybe even read God's word, and, and we do those things, and, we, and that's what we're going to do. But if you don't start and your foundation for your faith is not Jesus, you'll never gain momentum. You just won't. You won't be able to. You may do some good things, may have some good times, but you won't be able to gain the traction and momentum because your faith will be built upon what you can do, not what Jesus has done. He goes on in verse 7 to say, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Jesus responds to Philip's request to to or for Thomas's request, he says, if you really know me, lots of people know who Jesus is, right? They just do. But Jesus says, if you really know me, and the only way that we really get to know Jesus is we study what he, what he did, how he lived. And when we really come to discover who he is, he says, look, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so as Jesus lays out this case that, look, you don't have to be troubled because my, my father's house, we got a future provision, right? That's momentum for our faith. And we understand that our faith is founded upon what Jesus has done, not what we have done. And now he's turning the page and he's going to set this up so that they would fully understand that if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father, right? This has been the, the, the cry for so many people. Look at the people in the Old Testament. They wanted to see the father. People want to see God. And I think when they say that, they're thinking the, the God up in the sky in the clouds, whatever your misconception of that is, that's what they're thinking. And the writer of Colossians tells us that all the fullness of, of God dwells in Christ. Hebrews says that he's the exact representation not the partial representation, not the mixed up and a little bit different. No, the exact representation. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. But Philip's request was, show us the Father and that'll be enough. And that's what so many people want to do. They want to see God. The good news is you can see God. You can see what he looks like in the pages of Scripture and you can see what his son lived like. That's who God is. That's what God looks like. That's what God sounds like. That's what God does. And so for Philip, he said, look, if, if you just show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. 
And Jesus answered, don't you know, even after I've been with you for such a long time, which brings up an interesting thing. If the disciples missed it, so can we. The people who lived with them for three years, so maybe you've walked with Jesus for 33 years, and you've missed out on the fact that, that Jesus is God and that he wants to give you momentum in your faith. He wants to help you grow, but you've got to do that. And they missed out on it, and he was right in front of them. And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing too. A couple weeks ago, I was in the car with my youngest daughter and my son on the way to school. And uh, Jesus is equating that he's God, and that's a hard thing for us to imagine, right? Next week, spoiler alert, he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and uh, he's God too. And um, was trying to think through this, and my youngest daughter was telling me that there was a boy in her class that said that Jesus and God are different, and she said, no, he's the same. And then an argument erupted between Liam and my, my youngest daughter, Reese, about uh, the Holy Spirit, God, the Trinity, right? And I said, look, guys, this is a hard thing. I don't understand this, and that's the kind of God you want that you don't fully understand, right? And so Reese is like, Dad, it's not that hard. And I said, why not, Reese? And she goes, um, soap. It's just like soap. And I was like, what do you mean it's just like soap? She says, three in one, Dad. Uh, shampoo, conditioner, and body wash. It's just like, so I brought the bottle, right? <laughs> and I've been to college, <laughs> right? And I've studied this for a long time. And at a point, every human analogy will break down because there's nothing good enough. To, but I'm sitting there thinking that might have been the most insightful thing that a seven-year-old ever told me, right? The disciples are saying, yeah, thanks. Yeah. The disciples are sitting there going, show us the Father, that'll be enough, and my seven-year-old daughter walks up and says, it's not that hard. Three in one. So, just like so. So, if you struggle with that, because some people do, right, it, it is more complicated than this. But for my seven-year-old, it's not that hard. And here's where this makes a difference for you and for me. We gain momentum in our faith when we realize that Jesus is God. When we realize that the, the person who paid for our sins is God. That the person we pray to and, and ask for is God. When, when we need something, we can go directly to God. That, gives, that should give you momentum. It's not like you're calling your mom and hoping that she'll pick up and hoping that she'll give you what you're looking for. When we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, that should give us momentum because we're appealing to God through Jesus. And they have different... They, they function in different ways, and, and we don't want to get into the, 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 the wrong thinking that, you know, God was active in the Old Testament, and Jesus was in the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit's now. No, they're, they're all working together in perfect harmony and unity, submitting to the will of the Father at all times, in all places, in all ways, and you, through what Jesus Christ did, has access to God. Jesus was always submitting to the Father. We find in the second part of verse 10, the words I say to you, do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the very evidence of the work themselves. Think of what the disciples had seen. They had seen blind people that could see now. They had seen deaf people who could hear. They had seen lame people who could walk. They could see Jesus walk on water. They had seen water turned into wine. They had seen all of these incredible things happening. It's like, what else, what else could you do? Like what other miracle could Jesus have done to help them see this better? I, I can't think of any. And so as Jesus makes his point to this, he says, look, if you don't believe that I'm speaking on my Father's authority and that it's his words speaking in me, if you don't believe that, look at what I've done. Conversely, I would tell you, if you don't 
currently follow Jesus, what more would he need to do for you to believe in him? He came back from the dead. There's evidence that he walked the earth. No one, no one doubts that Jesus walked this earth. There was over 500 people who saw him when he came back. And he's promising to come back again. There's nothing on the prophetic timeline. There's nothing in the scriptures that need to be fulfilled for him to come back at this point. He could come back at any time. Our faith is based on evidence. It's found in so many places. And we gave momentum in our faith when we realized that Jesus is God. He goes on in verse 12 to say, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I don't think that Jesus is speaking here of more miracles. I don't think he's saying that you're going to do more miracles than he did. I think that he's leading up to what was going to happen. We find out in the second part of chapter 14 that Jesus says, if I go, the, the Holy Spirit's coming. And when the Holy Spirit comes, there's an explosive growth of salvation all over the world. Matter of fact, we're still talking about it today, some 2,000 years later. And Jesus tells his disciples, what, what you're going to do is going to have a ripple effect. And it's only because of his spirit. Verse 12 says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You see, we gain momentum in our faith when we rely on God's power and not our own. This is view of next week, but when the Holy Spirit comes and Jesus leaves, you see an incredible growth that happens. One, because Jesus paid for our sin and he was resurrected. But the Holy Spirit empowered these, these people who right now are asking the question of, uh, my heart's troubled, and I don't know if I can trust God, and uh, what about the Father, and how does that relate? And he takes those 12 individuals, and he changes the world. Because they were finally able to see that it was God's power in them that was going to help them. And I think that you'll gain momentum in your faith when you allow God's power to work inside you and quit trying to do it on your own. It, it, it just radically changes how you live. And I can tell you that all day long, but the moment that you do that is the moment that you'll gain momentum like you've never seen before. So Jesus says, look, you're gonna do even greater things. And then he wraps up this portion of it and he says in verse 13, I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And so for some of you, you may think, well, that's pretty cool. We just asked Jesus in, in Jesus' name for a new car. And maybe he wants you to have a new car. I don't know. This is not a formula that we utilize to try and get things from God. This is a framework, right, that we ask for things that, look at what it says in verse uh, 13. And I will uh, do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. So there's a reason that we do this, right? There's a reason that we ask in Jesus' name. And it, it had to be comforting and assuring to the disciples. He had just told them he was leaving. He had just told him he was going to die. He just told him, Peter's going to deny me. Judas is going to betray me. And he says, look, if you pray to me, if you ask for anything, I will do it. You see, prayer bridges the gap between our needs and his abundant, limitless, undepleted resources. Ask for things that bring glory to God. That's what Jesus is saying here. 
James would go on, the half-brother of Jesus, to say that we don't have because we don't ask. And when we do ask, we ask with selfish motives. And Jesus is telling his troubled disciples, if you need something, you ask. If you're struggling with something, ask. It doesn't mean God will answer. Matter of fact, he seems to usually answer our request in one of three ways. Yes, no, and not yet. That seems to be the pattern in which Jesus typically answers most of our prayers. Yes, no, or not yet. But he says you can ask for anything. And James says, look, you don't have because you don't ask. And so the last point of what we look at today is that we gain momentum in our faith when we pray. And prayer is, honest, I think, one of the hardest things to work into your, your, your faith life. For me, it's easy to sit and read. For me, it's easy to come to church. But when we're praying, it's when we tap into God's unlimited resources for our lives. But it does take an element of faith to trust that God is going to provide for what we need. And this is not some in my name, is not some magic formula. It's about recognizing and giving credit and glory and aligning with God's will. And so we gain momentum in our faith when we pray. A couple of things on prayer just that I've been learning recently. If you're struggling with praying, I would invite you to try and keep trying and keep trying. The other thing that will help you that I've personally found in the past year is start praying for other people. When we pray for only our wants, we're praying for our desires usually. That's what James was saying. So start praying for somebody else who to pray for, then I could give you a couple ideas. I'm going to give you a few thoughts here today. But we gain momentum in our faith when we pray because that's acknowledging who's in control and that's acknowledging who has the resources and that's acknowledging who gets the glory. And so as we look at upper room momentum and what the disciples were looking for, and I think if we're all honest today, this is what we're looking for as well. How do we take our faith from this level to this level? How do we take our dependence and our reliance upon Jesus from here to here? I think it happens in a couple different ways. Today we went through them. First and foremost, when we recognize God's future provision, we gain momentum. When we recognize that Jesus is the author and the foundation of our faith, when we recognize that Jesus is God, we rely on God's power and not our own. And lastly, when we pray. So I've been challenged lately to pray for others. And when you pray for others, it takes the focus off of you. Not that you can't pray for your own things, but if you're struggling with praying, I would encourage you to do that. A couple thoughts today. Um, first and foremost, there was a guy who, who actually built the building you're sitting in now. He passed away this week and his family's hurting. His name's Tom Maxey, and he'd be a great person to pray for. He's, he's in his father's house, though, right now. He's in a room somewhere. I don't know where. So we don't need to pray for Tom anymore, but we could pray for his family, his grandkids, his kids. And, and who he leaves behind and the pain that they're currently feeling. You could pray for people to surrender to Christ, right? Maybe there's a person you work with or um, this is a great time of year. Most people will come to church on Easter. Maybe that's something you pray about. I had the privilege to be with Rich and Sherry Smith this past week. This is a picture of Rich and Sherry. And uh, I said, hey, I'm going to wrap up the sermon talking about prayer. Anything you guys want to pray about? And they said, yeah. Next week, we're meeting with 35 pastors who had little to no training. They just said, look, you look like a good pastor. Alan, you'd be a pastor. And then they said, go ahead and do it. And so these guys are coming along, Rich and Sherry are coming along and doing um, training with them to help them know and understand their Bible. And they said, if you could pray for those people that are in that training program as they teach them along with another teacher, 
And then I said, is there anything you'd, you'd pray for for us as a church? And they said, yeah, that we'd have an urgency about our faith. I said, that's a good one. That we'd have an urgency about our faith. And maybe you've got some other things on your heart too. I don't want to minimize what God's doing in your own life. And if you've got a real need today, then I would encourage you to pray for that. And so I can't think of a better way to wrap up our time this morning than talking about prayer, but praying. And so I'll give you a few moments as you feel led. Pray for yourself. If you'd like somebody to pray with you and you feel comfortable, raise your hand and somebody around you will come pray with you. And as we close up our time here, I'll wrap up in just a moment. But if you're struggling with that, I feel like prayer is when we recognize God's undepleted resources are available to us. And it gives us momentum for our faith in a way that few other things can. And so we're just going to give you a few moments now today as we wrap up our time to pray for whatever God leads you to. If you've never prayed before, it's simply talking to God, telling him what's on your heart. And so we give you a few moments now to pray. giver of all good gifts, that you have unlimited resources, and Father, forgive us and forgive me for not coming to you and recognizing that you're ultimately in control. Father, we know based on what you did in the disciples and when they finally figured out to trust and rest in you, God, you, you changed the world through them. And God, you're willing to do the same thing even in our hearts today. And so God, I pray that you would allow us as we seek to follow you better that, Father, we would come to know and love you more, not only for what you've done, but for who you are. And, God, I know that each and every person in this room has uh, burdens and things on their hearts. And, Father, I pray that you would work in and among those things now. God, that we might be able to give you the glory for it. Thank you for sending Jesus to show us what it means to live, to show us what truth looks like, and to show us how we can live a life that's pleasing to you. His name we pray, amen. I'm sure you uh, you know this, but they don't build aircraft carriers to stay in the harbor. They build them to go out, right? They have an incredible power source that's within them. You were designed the same way, to never sit in the harbor and to be tied up. You have the Holy Spirit residing inside you. You have Jesus that's died for you. And as that song just said, that we should be known by a lot more than just sitting in the harbor, so to speak. And so I would encourage you, you have what you need. The momentum is there. Please go out and live the life that God has called you to today. If you do not know Jesus Christ, please come talk to me. I would love for you to come and find out the availability to be free from your sin, to have a home forevermore, and to have the power you need for today and tomorrow. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you then next week. Thank you.
If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.